Today we'll be talking to Casey Tillman. Alongside her daughter, Bryn, they authored Ascending 14 Year of Recovery in an effort to bring light and compassion to eating disorders and to help squash the stigmatization of mental illnesses. I do want to add a trigger warning that the things that you hear in this podcast may be difficult to hear. If you or someone you know is struggling with an eating disorder, there is help. You can contact an eating disorder helpline at 1-800-931-2237. You can call or text this number. Welcome to the All In Your Head podcast where we get all in your head. We are a mental health podcast focused on anything and everything mental health. We'll have special guests ranging from mental health experts, mental health advocates, and just everyday people with real struggles. We will share laughs, we will share cries, but most importantly, we will have real conversations about mental health. So with that being said, let's get all in your head. Woohoo! Back in 2000, I gave birth to a wonderful, beautiful bundle of joy. And 16 short years later, she developed anorexia nervosa, which is one of the deadliest mental illnesses. And so that was definitely a a hard road stop, felt like at the time. And trying to find help was probably one of the hardest parts of this whole journey. Door after door seemed to close. Every phone call I made, people were either booked or didn't take that insurance or there were waiting lists. And in the meantime, she really started to decline fast. Yeah. So how much time between the time that you all recognized that this may be happening to when she was actually able to start getting treatment? Honestly, only about two, three months. Okay. And I say only because that really, hearing other people's stories, that was was good. Yeah. But in three months, she knew that, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go into treatment. So now is really the time to restrict. Yeah. She was down to eating maybe a half a cup of grapes. And yeah, not good. When was the first indication, Karine, that something maybe was off? So initially, you know, she, it, it, it was little by little. Initially, she started running more, exercising more. But I also had just quit a very toxic corporate job that nearly broke me. And so I was really on this path of mindfulness and meditating and yoga and going for walks and just eating better, you know, or better, eating cleaner, maybe more, Mm -hmm. more fruits and vegetables. And then she decided she wanted to go vegan. And her story was very convincing. It was for animal rights type reasoning. Um, and I could, I could understand that because before I was pregnant with her, I was actually vegetarian. Mm. So I totally could understand. Yeah. So I went along with it and then she just continued to overwork out and running was never one of her preferred pastimes. Mm. And here she's going running miles and miles, even on an injured ankle. And I mean, she was a teenager. And in the meantime, I had taken a part-time job 
after that corporate job in an animal hospital. And so I was working all different hours. And you assume that your kids are teenagers. They're going to fend for themselves. I would cook meals, put it in the fridge, not realizing that she wasn't eating. She was getting thinner. And so I called her out on it. And um, first response was denial, anger. And then she actually had the discussion with her guidance counselor at the high school. Mm -hmm. She was always very close with my kids and admitted to her relationship with food to Wendy. And then Wendy called me that night and we had the discussion shortly after this was uh, before Christmas, Bryn ended up going to visit some family in Canada. And I was like, oh, this is great, actually, because they're all psychologists. And one of her aunts was an eating disorder therapist. Mm. So I knew that that they would pick up on it also. Yeah. Yeah. And so when she came back after Christmas break, the the aunt did call me and we I said, yep, it's on the radar. I'm taking care of it. I'm trying to get her treatment. Hoo-hoo. Have you ever had trouble with disengaged patients in your group therapy sessions? Duh. How about patients who can repeat most topics back verbatim but still end up back in treatment again and again? The Institute for the Advancement of Group Therapy Bridges That Gap. They provide training for counselors and therapists on maximizing patient engagement and recovery skill building in the group therapy setting so that patients can successfully apply what they've learned outside the four walls of therapy. Upon completion of the course, participants receive 10 NADAC accredited CEUs and an official credential as a certified group therapy expert or CGTE. To learn more about the much needed training and apply for credentialing, contact them via their website at grouptherapycertification.com or email at certification at grouptherapycertification.com. Yeah. To go back a little bit further, because I know you said that you confronted her on that. What what was that experience like? Because I know that's got to be difficult to have that conversation with your child and especially teenagers because they seem to be resistant to anything, right? And you're you're confronting her on something really important, right? And something that, that is could a, be, yeah, could be that's very a, dangerous, right? But as but. a safety net for her, right? And so if, if you read anything on eating disorders, a lot of people, we call this other being Ed, the Mm -hmm, eating disorder, because it does, it takes over their brain chemistry. It, and so, yes, you don't know what part is, is the teenager being flippant and what part is really this other entity almost that has taken over her. I remember at times comparing her to the exorcist, like her head would spin and green stuff would be spewing out of her mouth. And I'm like, where is my child? Yeah. And I'm assuming at that point, you didn't know much about eating disorders is my guess. And so at that point, did you feel like she had an eating disorder or were you just concerned about her weight? Mm, That is such a good question. I was in reactive mode. I was Mm. no, I mean, it definitely, I knew, I I knew it was an eating disorder because she had changed so drastically and I could see the weight just dropping off also. And, and I didn't know a whole lot about eating disorders. No, but I did know sufficiently. Yeah. 
the differences. I mean, I had people that would go, okay, so anorexia, which one is that? Is that the one they throw up? And that shocked me. I mean, this is only six years ago and people did not know the difference between different eating disorders. Yeah. I knew enough, but not, not enough to get her through on my own. So I was very, very happy when I was able to get her into a program. Yeah. So what did you say to her that first time? The first time I said, I think that you're being very extreme with working out and eating not enough and uh, not enough variety. And this is very concerning. And I think you have a problem. Yeah. And I'm going to need to get you help. And, and she's, she's very resistant to that. Oh, extremely like resistant. Yeah. And the what finally, finally got through to her. And this is a vivid image for both of us. I came into her room one night. I sat down on her floor. She was on her bed and I started bawling. I was like, I cannot bury my child, mm. my firstborn. You have got to work with me on this because you will die. Mm. And she just didn't realize it for the longest time. She, she felt comfortable. She felt powerful. She felt it was her, it was her drug. That was even before, before treatment. Like you, you were oh, having yeah. that conversation and you, you felt it was that bad where you were crying and concerned that your daughter may die from this. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, she's not even recognizing she has a problem. She did though. Yeah. She did. She resisted, but she did. Yeah. And I will say when they finally evaluated her to get her into the program, statistically body weight, heart rate, all those things would have potentially required her to be inpatient. But because she was very self-aware, um, they, they allowed us to do day treatments. So every morning we would drive to children's hospital every night we would drive home and that grueling schedule for about six weeks. Yeah. That's hard. I mean, that's, it's hard to have a child who's going through that. Right. And there's a lot of emotions involved. And then you throw this, call it a task, right. Of being, having to take her and pick her up. And, and uh, I mean, that just adds more stress, right. To the family to, to have to go through that all the time. And that just becomes probably like, the main focus of your family is just. Oh, it was treatment. entirely the main focus. So that's the thing. It was a 45 minute drive. So I just stayed partly because honestly, they have a lot of, so it's the Maudsley approach for people who don't know what that is. It's very, it's parent involved. It's mm -hmm. parent, parent control over the food and restoring weight. And so, I mean, I had meetings, I had classes, I had worksheets, there was family therapy, then there was individual therapy, and then there was group therapy, music therapy that we all attended, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just stayed, I stayed at the hospital. And then when I had lulls in, in time, I would write or I would, I would, but I had to take a leave, an unpaid leave from the newer job mm. that I had just gotten, the temporary job. And then shortly, about maybe four weeks in the program, I had to call them and say, I am so sorry, but I can't return. 
because in my mind, I thought six weeks, she's going to be fine. And, Mm. but no, going back to school, uh, ensuring that she has her snacks, being home to make sure she eats. It was, that was my job. So I just took out of retirement and went all in. And so that's also why I was, this has got to work because I'm going all in. Yeah. And there's a lot involved in treatment, as you already mentioned, a lot of aspects to it. But what do you think Bryn would say was the most important part of treatment, the most effective part of the experience? Honestly, I think that that I was there, Mm. that I was there because... I mean, it was brutal. So first of all, you have an aversion to food. Then you're forced to eat hospital food that is just not even appealing. And you're forced to eat three meals and three snacks a day. And you feel like your stomach's going to burst because it's shrunk because you weren't eating a lot. And we're trying to restore weight. So we're adding every week more calories, more to the meal plan. So it was beneficial for her to have me sit at the table in the room with her and all the other patients. Other parents would do that if they could and just kind of talk her through it, you Mm -hmm. know, divert her, her thoughts of away from the food. Yeah. And so that is actually how also we came up with the, the title of our book, because I, I would mention to her, you know, it's like we're at the bottom of this huge 14er mountain and we're about ready to climb up and it's going to be grueling. And mm-hmm. we look and we're like, are we ever going to get up there? And so ascending the 14er just became our secret code word in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's a good, mm-hmm. good visual, you know, to think about and when do you think you'll get to the top? We've gotten there. All I think right. we really have. Good. We we've gotten to glimpse the view from the top. Yeah. And what does the top look like compared to how things were? Freedom. Freedom. Freedom, hope, a bright future if you choose to have that. Yeah. Striving for your dreams. Yeah. So it sounds like it's a long grueling process for both you and Bryn. What do you feel like you learned along the way? That I'm strong enough because I can't tell you how many times I journaled that I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, we had our fights. We, I had my less than perfect mother moments where I was like, I can't, like, I just would lose my patience and it would end in arguments and tears and then hugging. And then, okay, we're a team. We can't, you know, but I, I got through it and I didn't think I was equipped. I didn't. I mean, yes, children's hospital provided a lot of tools and I researched and I read many books and but it was it was grueling. And I'm a single mom. So and at that time, she um, she had a bit of a strange relationship with her dad. So she mm-hmm. didn't want him involved so much either. So it really felt like the world was on my shoulders. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times with eating disorders, part of the treatment is really getting at the core and 
helping the client understand the why and mm-hmm. you don't need to get all into Bren's business. But what what do you think was at the core of this eating disorder? We realized this actually in in program, in treatment, that it was strongly rooted in anxiety. Mm-hmm. And we never really saw the anxiety. First of all, I come from a long line of worrywart women in my family (laughs) that I luckily am, I think, the first generation to try and break that. So I just thought, okay, it's genetic. She's she's a worrier. So when she was younger, I would um, come up with creative ideas like have a worry box and have her write down and put it in the box and put it away. And so she managed her anxiety that way. Then she managed it through perfectionism. She was always teacher's pet. She was always getting great grades, spending too much time on homework, probably volunteering at Sky Ridge Hospital, in theater, doing television acting, doing a lot Mm -hmm. and trying to be perfect at all of it. You know, I have two girls and one of them is involved in dance and the other is involved in cheer. And I think through both those activities, you hear different messages about food and body image and different things like that. And I'm learning, like I'm not an expert by any means, but I'm learning how much words can hurt, how much words provide a, a, a bad image around food and body image and different things like that. So maybe you can educate me and educate the listeners. Cause I'm sure you've, you've gone through this process yourself as long with Bryn. And so what have you all learned about, how to talk about food and relationships with food. Well, I will say one of one of her biggest triggering things too, and it was probably about a year before she started restricting, but it was, she was in dance and we uh, were at the studio for her fitting for the recital coming up. And her dad jokingly said something like, oh, look at that tummy, you know, bulging. And my son, he was young. He was maybe 11, but he giggled. And I looked at both of them and I was like, oh, no. And I never thought that Bryn heard it and I didn't want to bring it up. She heard it. She heard it and it hurt. And so little things like that can add up. Yeah. So how should... People talk about food instead, then we've got the holidays coming up. You see these posts and people talking about like, don't overeat and exercise. You can make room for food and you hear all these messages around uh, food around the holidays. And we're going to the new year and it's all about like, you know, losing weight and fitness and all these things. Like you hear all these different messages, right? And so essentially we hear, if you were to interpret that, we hear, you know, you need to eat less and not be fat and, and work out and exercise and be skinny and you know, and if you're not, then if you're not skinny, then you're these things. And mm-hmm. what are your thoughts about all of that? So it was very, very triggering. There's still times that I kind of cringe and mm-hmm. Bryn does too. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very triggering after she got out of program. First of all, we weren't even on social media for the longest time mm-hmm. because of those types of things that would pop up. I think that we don't even use healthy or unhealthy foods anymore. We just don't. We don't mm. label. We we refuse to this day. Mm. We talk about balance. Mm. So yeah, sometimes you overindulge in many things in life. You know, sometimes you drink too much alcohol mm. and consequences, you don't feel great the next day. 
But if you get back on track, you know, it's not going to affect your overall health when it's a, when things are balanced. For you all, you've just learned to have communication around balance and really being balanced around eating is what I'm hearing. And intuitive eating. And Mm. I mean, I'm proud to say that Bryn only in the last maybe year and a half has reintroduced dairy into her diet. She's still Mm. stuck to that vegan. Yeah. And now she eats cheese and sour cream and pasta. And if it sounds good, and I know she just um, got done with finals here. She's at CU Boulder and she just got done with finals. And she made one of uh, my kids' favorite mama meals. It's called spinach pasta. And they love when I make it. And Hmm. they always say, oh, we don't make it as good as you. You will eventually. (laughs) But she made a huge pot of that. She's like, I knew my brain needed that, needed those carbs, needed that, you know, nutrition. And that was my, you know, fuel. So we've come a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Your family has been through some difficult times and you've overcome a lot of things. What inspired you and Bryn to write a book about it? It was very cathartic. We would journal anyway, um, even before, gosh, I've always been a journaler, not mm-hmm. a daily journaler because the discipline wasn't always there or I just didn't have, it didn't have it in me, but throughout my whole life, I've pretty much journaled. Bryn would have a lot of funky dreams. I'm like that too. I'm a vivid dreamer Mm -hmm. and she is too. And so even before the eating disorder, I suggested, you know, hey, keep a dream journal too. So there were several journals, right, that that we've both kept. I I do keep a gratitude journal because that gets me through life Mm -hmm. Um, when everything feels so down and gray to sit down and go and it can just be that butterfly that flitted next to me (laughs) um, earlier when I was outside. I mean, tiny things really make a big difference. So we felt it was cathartic. It was already when we were in program, we were like, if we can get through this, Mm -hmm. we could potentially share our story to help others. Yeah. What was the process like writing the book? Long, (laughs) long and, and painful, painful because you're revisiting the worst of it. You're revisiting that trauma, but empowering also, especially once we, we finished, I mean, it took us five years to finish it. Yeah. We had to pause at times. I mean, like I said, she's a university student, double majoring in studio arts and psychology. And school took, you know, the focus yeah. and it needed to. Right. And then when she did have breaks, she would be like, oh, I don't want to go back and revisit that. And so it was a it was a long, long process. I like, uh, I, t- I joke that I really like the end of the book more because <laughs> that's where really the fruit of our labor through recovery starts to show Yeah, little milestones. And I kind of put the milestones throughout the book too, such as there was just one time that 
Bryn had a complete fit and she's 17 at this, at this time, she's 17 years old and has a complete fit over eating a granola bar. And that, I mean, we still to this day can laugh about that now, but that was a milestone when she actually ate a granola bar without a fuss after months of fighting it. Yeah. What else would you want to tell people about eating disorders or maybe even your book? Well, I would say that the numbers right now are even more staggering than they were. I actually found a study that shows that between 2000 and 2018, numbers for eating disorders, global numbers have gone up from 3.4% to 7.8%. Wow. And during the pandemic, hospitalizations in teenage girls doubled oh man for eating disorder related illness during the pandemic now i say girls that's the study but yeah. boys are very underdiagnosed yeah they're not as likely just because of some neurological studies that show that the females are definitely more prone to the body image mm. type thoughts but Men are not spared from it either. Yeah. And then in 2016, there was also a study that showed that one person dies every hour as oh, a direct man. result from oh. eating disorders. And that's not just, you know, bulimia, anorexia. That is also suicide. Mm. A lot of people with eating disorders, they can die by suicide. Yeah. The rates are a lot higher for them. You know, what we're talking about is life or death, right? For many people, it's a life or death situation. So this is really serious, really serious issue mm -hmm. that we have. And your family lived it. And you uh, you and Corinne lived to see the other side of it too, um, the side of recovery. And it took mm -hmm. a long process to get there, right? There's a, a mm -hmm. lot of challenges and struggle along the way. But Brynn is definitely a success story. And, and she sounds like she's doing really great things now, which is really good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just like to see more compassion too, um, mm. because it was very, very lonely for us. Because if you say, you know, eating disorder, anorexia, anything like that, first thing that pops into people's mind is vanity. Mm. There is such a misunderstanding. And if my child had diabetes, if my child had cancer, if she had anything else, there would have been a lot more out pouring of support. There would have been sympathy. Yeah. And with this, I'm not saying that there wasn't, but I'm saying the blank stares that we would get sometimes and that the silence was heart-wrenching. Yeah. And so that's also why we were like, we want to write a book to educate people. Yeah. That's great that you did that. So how can people access your book, Kareen? Well, anywhere books are sold, um, <laughs> Google, I, I universe. Yeah. Um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And remind us, what is the name of your book? So it is ascending the 14 er of recovery and, and it's by Casey Tillman. I go by Casey because my name Kareen is often mispronounced. So by Casey Tillman and Bryn Tillman. A mother and daughter's climb toward eating disorder freedom. It's amazing that you all wrote a book about that.
Thank you for being on this podcast as well and sharing your story, sharing Bryn's story. People are going to listen to this and, and hear your story as well. And I hope people pick up the book. It does bring a lot of information on light to eating disorders and the dangers and maybe some of the misperceptions about eating disorders as well. And it's it's you telling your story. It's Bryn telling her story. So thank you for being on this podcast as well. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for doing the work you do. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. You have just listened to the All In Your Head podcast. Learn more by following Jamie Glick on LinkedIn or by subscribing to the Mental Health Training Camp YouTube channel. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, you can call now or text 988 to get connected to free confidential support. Thanks for listening.